The other day, I was watching the news trying to relax, and there was a story that came on about using confetti, yes, confetti, to de-stress. And I have to admit, it was pretty appealing. By the way, it's called The Confetti Project if you want to look up what the story was actually about. But guess what is the top thing that we stress about and why we apparently need all this confetti? Well, given that you are listening to this podcast, you guys know the answer. It is money. According to the American Psychological Association, money continues to be the top source of stress for Americans. And that's where financial wellness strategies comes in. Financial Wellness Strategies provides educational resources for companies' employees so that they can find the balance between financial wealth and mental health. Financial literacy is absolutely important, but we also need to go beyond academics and learn how all of this actually fits into our real lives and what we want to accomplish with our hard-earned money. Learn more about how you and your company can invest in peace of mind at financialwellnessstrategies.com. That's financialwellnessstrategies.com. Welcome, friends. This week, we are talking about how love leads to money and prosperity. And in fact, our guest is going to teach us how we can use love to amplify our success. But first, our quote of the week. I've been doing some spring decluttering, and it is hard to get rid of things. So this really helped me keep some perspective And I hope it works for you too. It is from the actor, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Quote, the most important things in life aren't things. The most important things in life aren't things. Hmm. Let's get to this week's guest. Kim Curtis is the president and CEO of the Wealth Legacy Institute. She is also the author of Money Secrets, Keys to Smart Investing and Retirement Secrets. Our interview centered on how a focus on love and relationships done with the right mindset will ultimately lead to prosperity. But you got to watch out. It can also destroy relationships. Kim has some unique financial wellness strategies that I know will help all of us get to our goals and feel good about it. Here is Kim Curtis. Kim Curtis, you are a financial grown-up. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you, Bobby. I love the name of your company. It is Wealth Legacy Institute. A lot of people don't know this, but the word wealth and wellness have the same roots, which you just told me. I love that. Yes. The etymology of the word wealth is well-being, which when you think of how much stuff we have around the word wealth and money, but yet if we understood that it brought in so much more in terms of spiritual and personal and physical, it just allows us to embrace it and come to the table easier for most. I love also what you say about your company is that your specialty is working with accidental millionaires. How do we become accidental millionaires, Kim? (laughs) That's a great question. You know, I could only speak from what I see with my clients. I think that you just do certain basic financial principles and then you forget about it. You just put it on autopilot. And then as you get closer to retirement, all of a sudden you don't realize that you have over a million dollars in retirement because you're just slogging away. You're doing the job. You're putting it in your 401k. You're not touching it or borrowing from it. And you're not messing with it when the capital markets go south. You just keep contributing and not mess with the allocation. So it's not the lottery ticket. 
just to be clear. <laughs> For clarification, Bobby, it is absolutely not the lottery ticket because we already know those statistics that generally within three to five years, the lottery winner has lost the money and the family is fractured. All right. A lot of data around that. We're going to mentally reset now and we're going to talk about the topic of this week, which is how love and money connect. Before I get into my specific questions, tell me your viewpoint on this. I think you need both. However, starting with love always provides a more fulfilling life, ultimately. That's where I'm going to start. Okay. Now I'm going to play devil's advocate. We yeah. talk as financial professionals. We're both certified financial planners. You have a lot more alphabet soup after your name than I do. Uh, maybe someday I'll catch up. But anyway, we tend to remind people that, for example, who you choose as your life partner, whether you're married or you, you partner together financially, they are you know, kind of the biggest financial decision of your life. And yet in society, there's this pushback. Don't marry, don't date for money, love trumps all. Money can come and go. So where do, what do we do? So can love come and go. But ultimately, if we lead with love first, it allows us to feel more empowered and more supported and more complete. And when we feel that, we're more likely to take more risk and we're more likely to be more successful because we're performing at a higher level when love supports us. And when you perform at a higher level, you're more likely to get promotions and earn more money. And so it's kind of this wonderful circle that allows for money to find you. Tell me more about that. What do you mean by that? You mean that, because I just saw a statistic the other day that, you know, and, and I don't know what to believe and what not to believe because I, as a, I hate to say this, but as a former journalist, we've learned that statistics can kind of say anything we want them to say. Mm -hmm. But I did see a statistic mm -hmm. that, you know, married men live longer. There's all these studies about that, which is kind of depressing because I think that everyone should live longer. It shouldn't be just, you know, because that puts so much undue pressure, especially on single people to pair up. What is the connection between love and money? I mean, are, are single people doomed? I don't want to believe that. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I actually, Bobby, will take it a little further back to put context around the conversation. I tend to believe how you do money is how you do life. So if you have your head in the sand on money, you have your head in the sand on other areas of your life. So success around money is an inside job. The more you know yourself, and when you have a relationship, it's easier to get to know yourself because you tend to understand and learn more of your preferences of what you like and don't like. So if you knew how you do money is how you do life, and then you understood that actually to have money, money is actually looking for you, not the other way around. When we think, I need money, I need money. No, money needs you. It needs your ideas, your vision, your values to turn it into something of use to the world. So give us an example of that. How would that work in real life? Because you're losing me a little bit. Fair, fair. The money means nothing. It's a piece of paper. It only is the value that we give it. It's like our arms and our legs. We need them, but is our arms or our legs more important? No, we need them both. So that's kind of the conversation with love and money. It isn't necessarily that one is better than the other. You need them both to have a successful, abundant life. And so if you start with love first, then you're more likely to have a more rounded approach to money. But it doesn't mean that you can't it doesn't mean that you can't have money without love. Many people have money without love. It just is not as fun. 
One of the things that causes a lot of financial anxiety, even when you do have love in your life, is if you disagree on your financial values. If you're in a relationship and you find yourself, for example, let's just say one person wants to spend a lot of money and one person wants to take the long road and save more. How do you balance that and not have it destroy your relationship, frankly? That is such an excellent question because money does destroy relationships. And I think the biggest thing is, depending on the listeners, is that's a great conversation before you tie the knot, Mm -hmm. is to find out debt and know what you're getting into ahead of time. And then before tying the knot, have those conversations around money and how money will be spent and saved. So some couples, especially if it's a second marriage, will keep their own separate accounts, checking and savings, and then whatever that agreed upon percentage is into the joint account that pays the household bills. They generally oftentimes will keep everything separate except for those joint expenses. And that's one way to navigate disparate spending habits mm-hmm. is by keeping your own stuff separate. And that you see a lot of that in second marriages. What if you are having that conversation and you do find out, or maybe you did know already that your love has debt. Maybe it's good debt. Maybe it's bad debt. Maybe we shouldn't (laughs) judge debt. I don't know. But is that ground? I mean, what do you do? Are you supposed to break off the relationship? That seems crazy. There is a difference between good debt and bad debt, uh, which you probably talked about before on your podcast. So we should be judgmental about debt. That's a go. Okay. (laughs) Well, you know, because there's sometimes there's vague lines. I mean, there's good debt. You could say student loan debt, but there's credit card Mm -hmm. debt, which you might judge on the surface is bad debt, but what if that credit card debt came to pay a medical bill that saved someone's life, right? So it's not always so clear to judge. That's really fair to make that point clear. I think that to have harmony in love, that if there is different values around money, that it's important to see not a financial planner, a certified financial planner, but someone that in therapy or coaching that could work with the couple to navigate the differences. So you could stay in your own lane and still have love and companionship. A lot of relationships break down also later in life when there are disagreements about retirement. You even wrote a book about retirement, Retirement Secrets. Tell us about that. I mean, how do you navigate when you're in that later stage of life and you're maybe you're empty nesting at the, the you know, the, the flip side of the mm-hmm. getting married mm-hmm. and you find yourself having disagreements or maybe not even being where you thought you would be financially. And that's causing financial stress in your relationship. You know, it's funny. I don't know if it's as much financial stress as it is having different visions of what retirement may look like as couples. One of the biggest conversations that we have for couples that are about to step off into retirement is making sure they get on the same page. Because one spouse may want to buy an RV and travel the country to find their great new place location. Well, that's the last thing the spouse wants to have to do lunches and meals and travel when all they want is to live close to their extended family. And so you have to bridge that in terms of what is the best outcome within the financial realm that they have. So once you identify what their monthly spending amount is and they recognize, okay, let's say the monthly spending amount is 7,000 a month net, then they could have different conversations about what's realistic and what's not from a standpoint that's not as much emotional, even though the outcome is always an emotional one. Despite the money, it's always an emotional outcome. 
It is emotional. I mean, that that's talk about that. I mean, the fact is, you know, we we can talk about money in in numbers, and I think we always think if we only had X dollars more, we could do what we want. How do you sort of? I guess I, you don't take the emotion out. You just kind of admit that it it is part of it. Is what you're saying? Yeah, I think it's important for us to unpack what some of those money stories are that brings that charge into you know because some people just dive in and that like it immediately triggers something. And so what are those early money messages that were given to you? And the nature of our work, we actually ask questions that go back generationally. We call it, we call it humanographics, humanity on a graph. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a family tree where we plot up and down parents, grandparents, where'd they come from? how did they come into the country? What are the occupations? And then what's your first money story? What's your first money memory and what happens as we plot and then ask more questions around functionality of the family, uh, we realize that maybe some of that icky whatever comes about money was your great grandpa who was a tightwad. It has nothing to do with you, but it has worked through the family. And you can then say, I'm not going to be that person. I am going to, that no longer serves me. I'm going to come up with my own money wellness. I love that you brought that up because you write a lot about different generations and how we can take care of our parents and then back to how we take care of our kids. Love isn't always just through romantic relationships and partnerships. It's also the parent-child relationship. I wrote a lot about this in Launching Financial Grownups. What advice do you have then for parents who find themselves not just helicopter parents, but concierge parents, you know, not only, <laughs> but it's true. We, we want to be there for our kids and we are reachable pretty much all the time, just like concierges, often solving problems with money, just like a concierge. Do parents sometimes use money to kind of, I hate to say to buy their children's love, but let's say to secure it in some ways, especially mm. as the children become young adults and we want to stay close to them and we want to not let go of our role as parents. Talk about the money love thing there. Wow. That has so many places I can take it, Bobby. But I think that as moms and parents, that the best thing we can do for our child is to allow them to have failure around money early on. And that could be, you know, 10, 11, 12, 15, allow them to make decisions around money. And giving an allowance should should not be tied to just being a member of the family. It should be tied to chores so that they know that they don't get money for nothing, that they have to work for the trade-off. And then as young adults, it's so hard. You know, you want to help them get into a house. You want to help them if you have them, if you're lucky enough to have those means. But the key around that is that they need to understand the struggle so that they have resiliency. I mean, if you think the world right now is disruption. If they don't have grit and resiliency and agility, then you've done more harm than good by that gift or that help or that manipulation to keep them nearby. This has been great. Thank you so much. Where can people find out more about you, Kim, and your books? Yes. Thank you. WealthLegacyInstitute.com and my books, Money Secrets, Keys to Smart Investing and Retirement Secrets, Keys to Retiring Happy, Healthy, and Free can be found on Amazon. We all want to live our best financial grown-up lives. One way to do that is to know that the people that we care about are also in a good place when it comes to their money. That might mean our kids, our grandkids, and yes, even our friends. But how? I mean, it's kind of awkward. You see them struggling, pretending to know more than they do, or just making bad money decisions, but you don't know what to say. And even if you say something supportive, 
then what? That's why I wrote Launching Financial Grownups. In Launching Financial Grownups, I share the tools and strategies so you know what to say to take the pressure off and give those you love the confidence they need. It's all about giving those we care about the right amount of help at the right time so they can not only learn what they need to know about being financial grownups, but also be confident that they can do it and that you will be there to cheer them on. Pick up a copy of my book, Launching Financial Grownups. I promise you'll be so happy that you did. So this week's extra credit is actually a reading assignment that also will hopefully improve your finances pretty directly, but you're not gonna be happy about the reason why. Sadly, it was inspired by my own personal experience this past week when I went over some of my bills. Now, one of my bills in particular seemed very high, so I took a closer look as we always should, but don't always do. I noticed that one day I had the same thing charged three times and I didn't buy it three times. Then I also noticed the following date I had a different charge and this time it hit my bill two times and here's where it gets crazy. It was the same vendor. Now, I actually don't think that it was malicious. I know this place and they have been hiring new staff and I do think it was an honest mistake as they were training. But come on, it has to be fixed and it will be. So yes, this week, instead of telling you to watch a movie or listen to a podcast or read a fun beach read, whatever it may be, I am telling you to read your bills. Go back a few months while you are at it. There are also, by the way, apps that will flag double charges for you. Now they're aimed at subscriptions, but they are also probably pretty good for this. Let me know if you have any experience with them. The names that come to mind are Rocket Money, which used to be Truebill, also Ask Trim and Pocket Guard. I have no experience with these, but I'm going to be checking them out. DM me on Instagram at bobbyrebell1, that's B-O-B-B-I-R-E-B-E-L-L, and then the number one, with your take on these if you have any experience, and then I can share everyone's advice in an upcoming newsletter. By the way, you can get on the newsletter list by going to bobbyrebell.substack.com. We'll also leave a link in the show notes. Please share this podcast with your friends and the link to the newsletter. It's great for anyone that you care about to get more information about living their best financial lives. I love this week's interview. Speaking of living your best financial lives, big thanks to Kim Curtis of the Legacy Wealth Institute. She helped us all be financial grownups and taught us how to invest in peace of mind. Wellness for Financial Grownups is a production of BRK Media. Editing and production by Steve Stewart. Guest coordination, social media support, and show notes by Ali Bourbon. Artwork by Chelsea Perez. You can find the podcast show notes, which include links to resources mentioned on the show, as well as show transcripts by going to my website, bobbyrebell.com. To get even more out of this podcast, make sure you are also on our newsletter list to get more free content to live your best financial grown-up lives. There is a link in the show notes, but you can also sign up by going to bobbyrebell.com or financialwellnessstrategies.com and be a friend. Share the podcast with your friends and anyone you think might like it by taking a screenshot and sharing it on social media. Make sure to tag me on Instagram at bobbyrebell1. While you're there, follow me. If you DM me that you listen to the podcast, I will follow you back. You can also leave a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Reading each one means the world to me. 
And please support our merch shop, grownupgear.com by picking up fun gifts for your grown-up friends and treating yourself as well. Finally, my grown-up friends, don't forget to invest in peace of mind. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>